I want honest opinions here. Missy Elliott or Left Shark? Who stole your heart more last night during the Super Bowl? Because it's close for me. I love Missy Elliott, but Left Shark was... Left Shark, it was so great. I would have had to watch the Super Bowl first, which I did not do. Oh, man, you missed... Not even the halftime show. You didn't even go back and watch that. I don't have a TV, so no. (laughs) I, in all honesty, I didn't notice Left Shark doing anything during it, so it would have to be Missy Elliott because Left Shark did not garner any attention from me whatsoever, and it was only today that I found out that people were very excited about someone who just was, you know, kind of aimlessly standing around up there. Who was kind of drunk wearing a shark suit, which... Either that or, or maybe, like, the actual left shark dancer just didn't make it and they had to find somebody and they were just like, you there, you you fit this costume, get it, get out there. And he's like, what do I do? Like, uh, try and dance like the other one. <laughs> maybe it really was Snoop Dogg. Maybe his tweet wasn't a joke. Maybe Snoop Dogg really was in the shark suit. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We're going to talk about soccer, I swear. It's not just going to be rehashing the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm Adam Taylor, joined, as always, by Jason Anderson. This week, replacing a stupid jerk on a beach, Ben Bromley. We have Leanne Elston. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about D.C. United, Major League Soccer. In the case of Leanne, um, or Leanne lot, lots of German soccer as well from time to time. It's what the people want, <laughs> probably. We're going to talk today about D.C. United's preseason. We're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team, and we're going to answer your questions in a Twitter box segment. Before we do any of that, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I have uh, Mer- one of Maryland's own breweries, uh, Heavy Seas. Uh, they recent, not too recently, but semi-recently, put out an English porter named Deep Six. And I had meant to buy it a couple weeks ago, but I kept finding it warm only, and always wanted it immediately, so I just didn't buy it at all. Which I, I think, in <laughs> retrospect, seems like a rash decision. It's, that's but a little, I finally a little short-sighted, yeah. Yes, uh, but uh, I, I had to let the child in me make that decision. But I finally found it cold. Uh, and so I, I purchased it, and it's it's pretty good, and it's it's a good beer considering it's now um, like a tornado of wind outside, and it's getting much colder progressively as the night goes on. So it's a good beer for this uh, progressively more mean-spirited winter. Yeah, I don't have any riffing to do on mean-spirited ri- winter. It's, it's pretty awful outside, very windy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'm glad to some extent, that we didn't have an apocalyptic snow during the Super Bowl. But on the other hand, apocalyptic snow can be fun. Leanne, what are you drinking tonight? Um, Well, because it is disgustingly windy outside and freezing, I'm drinking some tea. It is Trader Joe's tea, ruby red chai, which I like because it doesn't have caffeine in it, so I can drink it at night. And it's nice and warm because it's cold in my apartment, so I'm digging it. All right. But no alcohol. Ah, that's fine. You know, we're I think we're, I think Ben's done tea more than once. <laughs> right on. Yeah. We're enablers when it comes to alcohol. We you know, we're not gonna force you. We're not gonna I'm not gonna like kick you off the broadcast right now. I was gonna go to Trader Joe's and like get some beer or something, but it was too cold. It and I didn't want to. Really windy, Fair. so <laughs> most days I would hold that against you, but not tonight. I am drinking the last leftover beer from last night's Super Bowl, and when you know it's a Virginia beer and Ben's not here to to celebrate the fact that I'm drinking a Port City Optimal Vit 
from Alexandria. Sorry, Ben, you don't get to say anything about it because you're not here. <laughs> I was drinking that the other night, actually. I really was. It's a good beer. My I, a couple of friends of mine brought it over last night for the game and left. There was one left. <laughs> Let's turn our attention now to the soccer. We have a result to talk about, which is nice after months of not having a result to talk about. Orlando City won, DC United won. DC took the lead early in the first half thanks to a Chris Pontius header turning in a Taylor Kemp cross. And then Orlando scored in the second half to equalize on a direct free kick, uh, which we will talk about more in a little bit. I don't want to spoil the surprise of how that one happened. Um, the The story for this for me was, was that Pontius is on the board and scores the first team goal of 2015. Leanne, how nice is it to have... Chris Pontius scoring goals again. Oh, so great. And it's and it was such a good play, too. Like, it's not even just that Pontius scored. It could have been some, like, not interesting or good goal. Um, but it actually was a really great goal. And, you know, I think it was, like, 14 minutes in, right? So it mm-hmm. was pretty early on. And uh, it's just really good to see him back. Like, it's really good. And I would like many more goals from him this season. Yeah, it was it was a really good play. It was a great cross from Taylor Kemp, which is becoming a, a weapon in his arsenal that we see with more regularity, which is nice to have a fullback who can cross. Um, Chris Pontius with the diving header to glance it into the far post. Jason, Pontius was playing forward in this one, not wide midfielder. Do you think that was more because Ben Olsen just wants to put bodies on the field and wants Pontius to get some get his fitness up, or is he a real option up top this year? Uh, I think he's going to get some minutes at forward this year. I don't know if it's going to be more than he sp- spends on the flank, but um, I think it was more of a tonight, last night or not last night when it, when the game happened in the past, whenever it was. Um, it happened as Time, a function. Man, it's weird. Yeah, it, it was in the past. I I know that for sure. It didn't happen now or hasn't happened yet. I know I know that it is a thing that happened already. Um, but uh. I think part of it was the fact that um, Andrew Driver, uh, surprisingly, is in camp, which means uh, you have to give him a legitimate shot at earning his way onto the roster. We didn't trade him for him for no reason. Um, he is a, a good player. Um, left midfield is his natural position. Um, and Chris Rolfe, obviously, was the starter there last year, and he'll take that role uh, probably you'd have to expect he he would start there to start this season coming up. Um, so Pontius is is good enough to find his way on the field in other spots, so we will see him as a forward from time to time. And I, I did think it was good to see him and uh, Fabian Espindola work together um, to, at, to actually start to build some sort of partnership um, because we are going to see a little bit of a... I, I think we're going to be... Up, it's going to be a little more variable um, up front, especially with... Uh, the number of games that we have to play uh, in this coming season. Um, Eddie Johnson obviously isn't, isn't in camp right now. Um, he's going to be, as a result, he's going to be behind during the regular season. Um, Luis Silva didn't play. So that's a, a factor as well. He might be a little behind because of he, because of the time he's missing right now. Um, so we're going to need some other options up there. And, and as I said um, previously, I don't think Jairo Arrieta and Fabian Espindola are a, a viable pairing because I think they play a little too similarly. Um, so it's good to have someone else in the mix. Um, Pontius is going to be a better striker than David Estrada will, um, for example. So yeah. 
and Estrada ended up playing left midfield, funnily enough. Um, so so that was a positive, and I did like that the, the build-up to the goal wasn't just um, getting the ball wide and crossing it. It was a spindle coming deep, combining with others, so he factored in as well, um, which is which is what you want to see in a forward partnership to have the play involving a goal involve both players. Um, so that that was a nice thing to see, and uh, I, I think if Pontius is fully fit, and he certainly looked um, like he wasn't having any physical problems. I mean, the diving header did alone, only go. He did only go 32 minutes. Yes, um, but and that was partially because it looked like he caught uh, like a stray uh, hand or something like that um, at some point. Um, but uh, it, it's still a good sign that you're not you're seeing him lay out for a diving header. Whereas if he had a hamstring problem, he might not be able to get to that ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a that was a good sign. Um, so all in all, uh, I guess we've got to look at him as a potential forward as well as a potential winger, and and that's a a good thing to have. You don't want to have a situation where he's only in contention for one one spot on the field or or not at all. Um, when a player like Pontius is at his best, he's going to find his way onto the field. You mentioned Andrew Driver, and and the entire left side of United's formation seemed to be close to dominant during at least maybe the first half hour, if not the entire first half. And that was where Taylor Kemp was playing and Andrew Driver um, in the midfield. Leanne, did did that surprise you to see those two kind of so much of the attack build through those two and not Corb and Franklin on the right or or Arno and Jeffrey in the middle who, who were acting as facilitators and moving the ball around well? But when we got a forward push, it really was on the left side. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really surprise me, to be honest, especially not compared with um, Arnaud and Jeffrey in the middle. I don't I don't really expect a lot of kind of playmaking and attacking stuff coming out of uh, Jeffrey in particular in the middle, but not Arnaud either, to be honest. Um, I think Kemp, he just continues to improve. Like, he continues to look really good on that side. Um, Driver, I'm going to be honest, I was not paying as close of attention to this game as I could have been. And I'm not used to watching Driver, so I wasn't watching him quite as closely as I was watching Kemp. But um, I think, it I don't know, honestly, it doesn't surprise me that it's Kemp that's really helping build stuff out back there. One guy who who was kind of disappointing in this one, though, was Diego Restrepo. Jason, I know you were criticizing him early on in the game for flapping it at crosses in the box and then the goal was really entirely on him. It was a, a pretty pedestrian direct free kick. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say that the free kick never should have happened, um, but uh, the foul was committed by Footy Danso, who we found out today is not with the team anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, early in the game it looked like he was getting lost under some crosses. Um, Orlando was uh, kind of reliant. It's kind of funny that... Um, we were attacking heavily uh, down the left, and Taylor Kemp was getting a lot of crosses. And, and Orlando's attack, um, their best option to get the ball in the box ended up being their right back, um, Rafael Ramos, who's pretty young. Um, and I think there's a reason why we saw um, some success there was that I don't know that he's – this is the first I've seen of him. I don't know that he's going to be a, a very solid defender for them, but he can clearly go forward. Um, but with Restrepo, I thought that he's sort of – he seemed to be misjudging the flight of the ball as well as where he is in relation to the goal. Um, there was a little bit of a spatial awareness problem that um, crept into his game early and never really went away. 
Um, and then on the goal itself, uh, you know, it's a shot that's right at his stomach, and he ended up directing it into the goal, um, which is pretty much the worst outcome you can have as a goalkeeper, other than perhaps, like, letting a slow shot trickle through your hands and bobble in in a torturous fashion. Um, other than that, um, from the aesthetics uh, side of things, uh, that it was pretty brutal. Um, I will say that he's a better goalkeeper than that, um, we, and, you know, one mistake shouldn't necessarily bury somebody, uh, but it's certainly not encouraging uh, as a start, it, not just because of the goal, but because of the other uh, issues he had on crosses. It's not encouraging, and it kind of opens the door um, for the younger goalkeepers that are in camp uh, as far as their ability to possibly sneak ahead of him. Um, it seemed kind of straightforward that he would be the heavy favorite to take that third spot. Um, he's not an international. He has plenty of professional experience, but he's not over 30. Um, it seemed like a pretty straightforward bet, but his performance kind of opened the door for um, uh, Ricardo Aneta, um, who didn't really have much to do uh, once he came in right after the goal. Um, and now we have a new trialist, um, Travis Wara, who was at the University of New Hampshire. I've never and who we'll talk about him. more in a yeah. little bit. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, the with Restrepo... He's going to have to sort of prove that that wasn't him, that that was a bad game, um, because it, he can play at a higher level than that. Uh, if he if that was the best he could do, then he would not have been playing in the NASL. Uh, he would not have gone to the Colombian or Venezuelan league that uh, where he played before. Um, he wouldn't have gotten those deals with, if that was the ability he had. He would have been sitting the bench somewhere um, that whole time. So it, it'll be, I, I suppose, the next couple games against. Um, Jan Koping Sodra, I'm sure that's not how it's actually pronounced in Swedish, um, and Malmo, uh, in those two games, he's going to have to show that he is a better goalkeeper than we saw against Orlando. He kind of looks like, it, it kind of looks like what I would look like if I were in goal. Like when I played <laughs> rec soccer when I was like eight, and they made me play goal because they made everybody play goal because nobody wanted to, like that's what it looked like. So I would hope that he is not as terrible at soccer as I am. One one would really hope, and so we're all hoping Jason's right. So what else jumped out to you guys about this this first preseason game? Anything? The first half was much better than the second half. Yeah, it's I mean, funny when what, you put a bunch of trialists and bench players on the field. It doesn't work out as well. <laughs> isn't that shocking how that happened? Right? That was yeah. really... I have to say, I wasn't paying as much attention to the second half in particular because I was like, oh, I know these people... And I just downloaded Duolingo, and so I was doing that a little nice. bit while I was watching the game. I was going to say, Jason's exactly the opposite. When it's a bunch of people he doesn't know on the field, he pays much closer <laughs> attention. I don't know how Duolingo lingo would fit, factor into that calculus, though. Well, I was kind of like, like, call me when we sign them, and like call me when they're like definitely going to be playing for us on a regular basis. That was kind of my thinking. Sure. Yeah, it... Um, it was definitely a a lesser performance in the second half. Um, the first half had its choppy moments, but if either team had a good spell in the game, it was definitely DC for you know from the tenth to about the twenty twenty fifth minute, um, where we were clearly in charge of the game. And after that, um, it was a lot more back and forth. I think Orlando. I know in some of their write ups, it almost comes across as if. Uh, Orlando was doing an awesome job, and it was like, well, you know, slow down a little, but 
Um, for given that it's an expansion team in their first game, they they had some decent moments. Um, but uh, I I will say that it was kind of a shame for um, Rochelle McKenzie to have to play right back for a while. That's not his normal position. He didn't he didn't have any problems. Um, and if anything, the fact that Danso was in the game kind of helped McKenzie uh, just by Danso playing poorly. Um, McKenzie looked better by uh, just just by standing nearby and not being as bad. Um, it and was Danso left injured. Right. Yeah. Then he picked up an injury, and um, McKenzie ended up getting to come back inside and into his natural spot. But that was kind of the game sort of petered out after that almost immediately. Um, we did get to see a diamond um, mm-hmm. in the second half, which was um, kind of an interesting look because it does get Dan Metzger and Colin Martin into their more natural positions. Um, though I will say I, I kind of wanted to pull my hair out a little bit when Rod Diachenko came in because he came in and played at the point of the diamond and Colin Martin moved wide, which I felt like um, not only is – I mean, Diachenko, in my opinion, the trial is kind of a – more of a favor. He shouldn't be taking up time in, in friendlies. It should be more of a excuse to train so he finds a contract somewhere else. Um, but the other thing is, the other thing is, don't push Colin Martin out to the wing as well um, because Martin doesn't really belong out there. Um, I know he Especially will. And Glenn Olsen's flavor of the diamond doesn't. The the wide midfielders are still relatively wide. Right. Um, it's more of a four one three two. Then, like RSL, for example, I would describe theirs as four three one two, um, because Javier Morales plays further ahead of the the mm-hmm. outside midfielders, and they play closer to Beckerman. Um, for us, Metzger was deep, um, and then the the rest of the team, Aguilar and Estrada, were higher up. Um, and part of that too, I think, was the assumption that I think United played the second half thinking that they could press a little and, and get after Orlando and maybe go and add a second goal. Um, that the game was a little too choppy for that. Um, but uh, Aguilar did all right. Um, I thought he took up good spots on the field. Um, he looked uh, pretty clean in his touches. Um, it would have been nice. A cutback cross. Yeah. They really tantalizingly across the entire width of the 18-yard box. Yes. And nobody um, was there to run on it. Which is which is a little bit of um, the, the forward play. It wasn't... Uh, ideal, I didn't think. I mean, Connor Doyle's been out for so long, you can't really hold it too much against him. Um, Not that he's our, ever that goal dangerous anyway. No, but but he can still get himself involved, and maybe he could have done something a little more there, but, you know, I, I tend to give him a pass just because of the amount of time he was out. Um, Arrieta probably should have had a goal um, on the one chance that he really got, um, but he decided to crush the ball instead of uh, mm-hmm. you know, taking it, taking half a second to place it. Um, which which happens in preseason games. Um, he's not normally a guy that just blasts everything, so um, we should see that improve with time. Um, but uh, but overall, it was definitely pretty choppy. It was hard to get a judge on a lot. Um, it was hard to get um, a good read on Sean St. Ledger, for example. Um, I think Booty Danso was covering so much ground and kind of roving around enough that it's sort of through the structure of the group off and it's hard to judge individual defenders when there's not a, as much of a solid structure in place. Um, I did also enjoy the attempts to figure out who the mystery number 37 was because, well, I was, yeah, I was just about to talk about that. We, we did get to see the fabled Florida man in action right. on the field. I was just disappointed. I, I, I said, so in my, um, 
my minutes tracker post this weekend. I, I was disappointed he didn't bring snakes or or drugs or something else that Florida I, Man is I mean, known for to I, the field. I, I think we should be grateful that Florida Man was clothed uh, and appeared to be have an, a general grasp of what he was supposed to be doing, which, generally speaking, uh, Florida Man is uh, confused and angry and uh, and, and naked most of the time. An odd amount of time in convenience stores, it sounds like. Or, or on the roof of, of his his home or someone else's home. <laughs> um, but this, the, this Florida, Florida Man is man, a golden god. This Florida man decided to stay on the ground and uh, and play soccer. He really didn't look too bad, but also there wasn't really that much for him to do. Um, mm-hmm. It it was not. I know there was a. In case people weren't following this after the game, it was not Eric Williamson. He he had left for the U.S. under 18 camp, so that wasn't him. Um, also, that guy doesn't look like Eric Williamson. He actually looked like Kyle Porter. And I briefly was like, is is Kyle Porter just hanging out with the team? But uh, the stream got a little better, and you could see that that wasn't Kyle Porter. So um, I had, I can't remember off the top of my head where Porter signed with, but he he signed somewhere else, I think. Um, in any case, it's not not really our problem. Yeah, let's, um, let's talk about some other roster updates now. Sure. You mentioned Footy Danso is out, uh, possibly because he picked up in, an injury in that preseason game, and if you're not on a contract and you pick up an injury during your trial, your trial tends to end without a contract offer. The same might be true for Richard McCallum, the, the goalkeeper from Waterhouse FC, who we saw in the Champions League, who was in on a trial and apparently got hurt in training. We never even saw him in the game because he was already out of camp by then. Those two are both out. In, I, I, Leanne, any thoughts? I, don't, I, I have none. I don't think there's much to think I have, about. I have no thoughts. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, no it was nice seeing you. Bye. We We're not see, seeing you. Again. Yeah. We don't we don't get to see Fuddy so much anymore. And it's fun to say sure. Fuddy. Yeah. But that's really the biggest thing he brings to the table. I'll uh, get over it. Yeah. I, I will say that that I feel like those two might have left camp uh regardless of injury. Um yeah. especially um given that McCallum was gonna take up an international spot. Um Danso played poorly, and we've got McKenzie and Sean St. Ledger both in in looking for roster spots. So um, those two situations may have already been sorted out, whether or not whether the injuries were significant or not. Um, so th- those guys were always going to have a hard time making the team anyway. So um, so be it. Uh, no big deal. I, d- I don't think I don't I don't think people should be too broken up, even though Danso is a recognizable name. Um, the truth is, he was sitting the bench for Montreal last year, and if you were sitting the bench for Montreal last year, you're just you're not playing very well. Yeah, as I said last week, he he's a center back who's more known for his goal scoring than his defense, yeah. which is not really what you're looking for. Uh, we do have another trialist in for the third goalkeeper spot, so it's not just down to Restrepo and Anetta. We have Travis Wara, who Jason you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. He's from what University of New Hampshire, undrafted right. rookie. That's right. Um, 21, uh, 21 years old. Um, he was a starter for four years there, um, or not a not. He did not start every second of all four years, but he was getting the large bulk of the starts, um, 17, 18 games a year, basically. Um, and he, the only other thing I know for sure about him is that his high school uh, is where DC United lost in the 2007 Open Cup. Uh, to the Harrisburg City Islanders, who 
were not playing that game at their normal home stadium. I went up to that game uh, and stood with about 20 <laughs> DC United fans, and we all watched as DC United basically spent the entire game playing Mark, Mark Birch long balls uh, forward over and over again, um, almost like a training drill. Uh, and I believe it was the only game that the other Carroll brothers were both on the field at the same time. Uh, Pat and Jeff Carroll both uh, played in that one. Um, but uh, it was a dire and depressing game to watch, to say the least. Um, the Harrisburg fans weren't even excited about winning, um, which is maybe the worst thing about it. They were just like, oh, all right, great, whatever. Um, so there, there was no joy to be had. There was nothing uh, going on. There was a lot of making fun of um, the Hempfield High School uh, PA system repeatedly played the charge uh, music. The <laughs> Wait, played it was that. called Hempfield High High school? Hempfield High School was where they played this game in, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, uh, on a turf field with uh, brand new football lines. Um, Sounds like a magical place. Uh, uh, magical we, is about right for Hempfield. Yeah, it there, better be magical. There were a lot of chants from from the United fans that were visiting there of simply saying, Hempfield, <laughs> Hempfield. And, and the, the locals didn't even get it, so we, we had to give up on it. It's like, they don't even get we're making fun of them. Um it was sort of like a twilight zone. Like you can't even make fun of the the other team they, because they're impervious to it because they don't understand what you're making fun of. Um, so it was a a bizarre and a un, unfortunate game, and in a bizarre and unfortunate era, the Tom Stone era. Um, yeah. Though this was 2007, so it was it, it was at least the year where we played very well under Tom Stone for most right. of the year. He he kept Peter Novak's tactics and players and, and right. it worked out for the most part until the playoffs started. Any anytime United were in a knockout competition that year it went badly. Yeah, that's fair to say. Let's switch gears now. Talk about the US men's national team who went down to Chile last week and lost three to two in what has to be called a, a pretty exciting friendly against uh, the Chilean national team. Came out in the first half in a 3-5-2, as we discussed and as as kind of expected. Steve Birnbaum, though, got got the start, which was nice to see from a DC United perspective. Um, let, let's focus more broadly, though, first on the 3-5-2. Leanne, did did you watch this game? Did you see anything to like about the 3-5-2? Okay, I did watch this game. Thank All right. you. And. Yeah, I really, I okay. I did not think I was gonna like three five two. I was not on board with this when it sort of first was being discussed on the twitters. I was like, mm, I don't know about that. And I have to say that in the first half, uh, when they were playing the three five two, I liked it. Like I was really surprised. I didn't hate it. I thought I was gonna like tear my hair out and be really upset about it, and I wasn't. I thought it was actually kind of exciting. Um, maybe a little too exciting. Like, maybe I don't need that much excitement. Um, but for a friendly against Chile, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I could I could tolerate us continuing to try that uh, in future games. Yeah, broadly, I, I'm kind of in the same position. I, I don't know that that I'm sold on Jermaine Jones as as the linchpin there, and the system seems designed to take advantage of some strength that Jurgen Klinsmann sees in Jermaine Jones, and I don't know that anybody else sees that particular strength. 
Um, the entire defensive tactic seems to be to force teams wide so that they have to cross, and then Jermaine Jones is there to not mark people in the box. I mean, I've basically not wanted Jermaine Jones to be the linchpin of this team like since he started being on this team. That's yeah, how I feel about Jermaine Jones. Yeah, he. I for a long time I I just didn't know why he was on the field, and then he actually his play improved in the last eighteen months or so for the U.S. national team, and 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 so I I came to accept his position in the midfield. But now that he's moved closer to goal, his tendency to switch off his brain both with the ball and when the other team has the ball seems like it's a much more um, potentially dire situation. Uh, he, he, I, it seemed like the tactic with the ball was that he was going to play as a center back, but he didn't get the brief, and so he was playing as an old-school sweeper, stepping up into not just the midfield, but into the attack, which was... Jason, you're, you're the tactics guru. What, what did you think of, of the 3-5-2? Um, I think with the full team, um, there's some potential, but only if Klinsman actually plays players in positions that they belong in. Um, Jones certainly has a place in this formation. It's not in central defense, though, um, especially when surrounded by uh, Matt Beasler appears to be still out of form. Um, it appears the offseason didn't restore his... Uh, restore him back to full... Maybe it did restore him back to full health, but it didn't restore his form at all. Right. He looked a little... Uh, just a little behind everything, and, and he's not... Uh, he's a player that needs to be ahead of the play rather than behind the play mentally. Um, not, I mean, everyone does, but he specifically needs it a little more than most. Um, uh, Burnbaum, you know, it's his first cap. Um... So the, the combination of, of, of that three in the back, um, you really want uh, a little more solidity from whoever's in the middle. Um, I think Jeff Cameron could do that role very well, um, especially the passing out of the back aspect of it, the stepping up occasionally uh, to snuff things out early or get further, get closer to the attacking players to supply them with the ball. I think he'd be much more capable in that role than Jones is. Um, but it, I don't think that was the only issue with the, the formation. Um, Nick's disc route was played underneath Michael Bradley, um, which uh, I think which Bradley was in. Right before. Yes, and, and I think Bradley was in the right spot, but in a vacuum he's in the right spot. In the context of playing alongside disc route, there's no way he should be playing further forward than disc route um, because you end up with disc route's defense. He's not, the, he's not lazy or anything. He just doesn't have the... defensive skill set that's required in that spot of the field. Um, His passing is good, and his vision is good, and and all of that is very nice, but we're still not a good enough national team where we can say, um, where we can make that jump where we're sacrificing defensive skills for uh, ball possession. We're not Barcelona where we can say, all right, Javier Mascherano, play center back, because we don't even need a center back anymore. Um, We're not like that. Uh, We're not close to that, and we shouldn't be pretending that we are. That's It's crazy talk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's Klinsman, so he's going to do stuff like that, or exactly. um, you know, ask Clint Dempsey to play the third central midfield uh, role in a situation where we we really needed another midfielder in that spot, and, and to play him in the midfield and then include Bobby Wood, who continues to just show us that 
you know, Bobby Wood is apparently on on his way back to Germany to sign for a team that's trying to avoid relegation from the German second division. Um, and that's kind of where he's at as a player. He's a young player. He could get better. But German, the, the, the two Bundesliga, that's probably where he is as a player, which means he shouldn't be starting for the national team. Um, and he didn't really make an impact. And we also had Dempsey playing out of position, and his position would have been where Bobby Wood was playing. So mm-hmm. there was a lot to there was a lot of frustrating things about the selection um, in terms of putting players in the positions where they could benefit the tactical idea the best. But I do think with the full team, there is a way this could work um, with Cameron in place, for example. Um, I still you still got a situation with Jones and uh, Bradley, both probably best in the same role. Uh, not that they would play it the same way, but the, the same responsibilities. Um, we might have to find some sort of way to play with an anchor midfielder and then those two ahead of that player um, rather than playing with a number 10 above two central midfielders because, uh, one, we don't really have a dominant number 10 that, that demands that, that role on the field, but also if you want Jones and Bradley on the field you're, and, and you want to play 3-5-2, you may end up with some problems as far as covering the area in front of the center backs. Um, I do. Th- I will say it does fit a lot of our wide players. Um, Yedlin, um, he'll learn. I mean, he's he made some positional mistakes. I I, I saw some people try to blame the the second goal on Burnbaum when I think it was 100% DeAndre Yedlin's goal since he yeah. let his man go without so much as a look. Um, and that that man scored the goal. Um, it was a pretty straightforward. I, I I don't even know why there was a debate about it. It was a pretty obvious one to me. Um, but he still got the skill set to learn that role and succeed it um, out wide as a wing back. Um, Breck Shea did well going forward. Did not do well defensively, which I think no one was surprised by whatsoever. <laughs> um, the, the surprise from Shea was that he did look sharp on the goal that he scored. Yeah, um, it was really well taken. For for someone that hasn't really played a competitive match in in ages because of various things, um, it was good for for him to make an impact uh, going forward. But it's definitely an offensive version of a three five two. Um, this is not uh, Costa Rica style where the back three becomes a back five regularly. Um, this was a uh, Tom Sohn and Peter Novak style. Um, you know let's put attacking players on the wing and have them attack just like everyone else is attacking. Um, but I do think it, it fits not just the guys we had, but um, Fabian Johnson would be excellent um, in this, in this system. Um, Timothy Chandler would probably be better off playing this way. Um, Edgar Castillo would actually merit consideration again. Whereas right now, if we play a back four, he does not merit consideration, but in a three, five, two right back there, we are now bringing Castillo back in. In a a three, five, two, he would actually, he would actually be of some use at least, or at least worth considering, um, in a back four, there's no way, um, not at all. We're all on the same uh, page though, under a normal, yeah, common system. Castillo has no place being anywhere near camp. And it, and it wasn't. It was kind of a letdown that we changed back to the back four at halftime. Yeah, um, I if agree. If you're gonna switch formations and work on it in camp and all this other stuff, you might as well give it the whole game um, to to really give it a try. I mean, I know if you felt if, if Klinsman felt like he had to look at both systems in this game, you can't really switch on the fly very well. You really do. You're you're better off switching at halftime. 
I just feel like why not play this system for the 90 minutes and then play with a diamond against Panama um, in the next friendly. Um, well, I mean, Klinsman, he's been using both systems every day. He's been doing three right. days with these guys. So, so you know, they've been running for one session. They've been running 3-5-2 for another session and 4-4-2 four, four, for the third session. So he, he, he just had to right. keep them used to it. And then, and then uh, complain he, about fitness at the end of the day when all his players are exhausted from two weeks of three days. Right. Um, Not that I have it, a strong opinion about that. It is. It continues to be bizarre that the only U.S. coach in history to ever have uh, to ever think that the fitness of the U.S. players was a problem is Jurgen Klinsmann, and it may be an indicator that a lot of other people are getting something right that he is not getting right. Um, I don't think it, it, the U.S. player suddenly became less fit uh, than previously. I don't think that is the case. And more prone to overuse injuries and et cetera, right. et cetera. Let's instead talk about Steve Birnbaum, who, knock wood, has not come down with an injury, but did get his first start for the U.S. men's national team, playing in that 3-5-2 as a center back and then switching over to a more traditional center back in the second half when they switched to a four-man back line. Lillian, what did you make of uh, number 15, who actually wore number 23 in this game? He and, so he and Perry weird. Kitchen switched numbers. We didn't see Kitchen on the field, but he was listed as number 15. And did Birnbaum we ever figure out that they did that on purpose? Uh, we, we're going to put a question in when we can get a chance, but we don't know at this point if they did it on purpose or if it was just a happy coincidence. Well, he looked super... Well, Birdbomb, first of all. As he must Hashtag Birdbomb. Hashtag Birdbomb. He looked so good! He was so strong! I was honestly like... One, I was surprised that he was starting. Um, mm-hmm. Two, I was pleased that he was starting. And then I was nervous that he was starting, and then he was starting and playing, and he was super good. And I was really happy. That's, like, all I have to say, really. I just was so <laughs> glad and, like, relieved that he wasn't terrible or something. That would have made me so, so sad. Yeah, he was good. He did have a couple of, of nervy moments. Um, yeah, the, but... The, the deflection that almost went in for an own goal, but it turned out to be a really tame uh, thing. But But mostly he was... In the first half, I thought the strongest of the back three in, in just sticking to the brief and keeping it simple and, and also, putting the ball in position where other people can create. Yeah, plus he also was apparently Rookie of the Year last year. Yeah, <laughs> depending on who you listen to. Uh, you know, he may have won an award that he, he didn't actually win. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, he should have won it. He was the clear, obvious choice. Birdbomb forever. <laughs> Jason, the U.S. plays Panama out in California Tuesday night. What do you want to see in that game? Uh, I mean, what, now what, we've, what could happen in that game that you, would make you call it a success? Um, maybe a little more of a coherent effort, um, seeing players in their better position uh, than we're likely to because Klinsman's going to do something Okay, okay, something something reasonable that's likely right. to happen. Um, uh, I'd like to see uh, Altidore continue to build on some confidence um, to, to bring himself back after the uh, hell of being at Sunderland for so long. Um, that that certainly bode, that would bode well for the national team long term. Um, I, I'd also like to, I mean, we'd like to see, I think we'd all like to see Perry Kitchen get on yeah. the field. Um I do not want to see him get on the field in defense uh, because that would underline or that would just 
further underline the misunderstanding of what to do with a given player uh, that we keep seeing over and over again. Um, I want him to play his natural role, and I think he could play that spot and actually have some success against Panama. I think the, it's, a, it's an opponent that would suit Kitchen pretty well, I think, um, where uh, his physical gifts are going to give him an advantage over the guys in, they'll have in central midfield, um, but that Panama will still play a game that allows that to be a factor. They're not going to play a particularly cerebral game or a, a slow game with a lot of possession. It's going to be a game where Kitchen gets to mix it up. I guess the other thing I would like to see is just a, in general a, a little more solidity, uh, across, not just in the back, but across the whole team. Um, I thought we made it a little easy on Chile to create chances, and 3-2 really kind of, it might have flattered the U.S. a little. I think we gave up a lot more uh, than Chile gave up in that game, um, and keeping it Within 3-2, I think 4-2 might have been a more reasonable scoreline given the way the game was played. Um, Panama has a closer to their... It's closer to their A-team. Chile called in basically their version of Camp Strudel. Um, I do not know the Chile, the proper Chilean dessert to reference in this case, um, <laughs> but I'm sure they've got one. I'm sure it's probably pretty good. Um, but it, it was a domestic-based Chilean roster, and they, they looked a lot more familiar with what was going on. Granted, Jorge Sampaoli has been playing that way for a while, and before that, uh, they were playing that way as well under Bielsa. So it's a popular way to play in Chile. So I I think their players had less of an adjustment. Um, Panama might be a a stronger test just because they're calling in closer to their best team. Uh, So it would be nice to see the, the U.S. as a whole step up and play better uh, from front to back. Uh, I don't know that that's what we're going to see, but um, I certainly would, would like to see that because, you know, the U.S. has been in a slump for a while and the performances have been erratic or worse, and we need a solid 90-minute showing where you can say that we didn't bunker in, um, that we played decent soccer and also didn't have long spells of, of play where we were just were defending and defending and that's it. So I guess there's a lot I would like to see that would uh, <laughs> that would would be nice. You're an easy man to please, Jason. Well, maybe that, that's one way of putting it. In this case, in this particular case, I don't know that that's uh, that's the the best way of putting it. <laughs> you can, it's an angle you could take, uh, even and, sarcastically. And maybe Klinsman would take that angle. Like, oh, there's plenty of things that can go right. This is awesome. <laughs> I just want to see anything go right. That's basically been Klinsman's approach to managing the national team. Uh, If anything goes right, we're okay. (laughs) Let's open up the Twitter box, you guys. Um, We've got a a few questions tonight uh, from a very late shout-out for questions. The first one comes from Seth, or I assume his name is Seth. It would be funny if it weren't. His his handle is at TweetsFromSeth. He asks us, at FilibusterDCU, so the DCU U23s are no longer a thing. Does this affect the club? Um, what he's referring to is an announcement today that Federal City FC in the NPSL, it's, it's on par with the um, USL Premier Development League. It's a, an amateur league below the professional leagues in the the U.S. Pyramid, they have suspended operations for 2015, and they were essentially the D.C. United U23 team. And so 
we don't know the exact fate of the U23s at this point. Um, whether they will play under some other guys in in the, the NPSL or whether they just won't happen this year. Uh, either way, I don't think it really affects the club that much because it's not part of the academy. It's really more of a scouting uh, opportunity for the club because you don't get any homegrown rights to U23 right. players. And I don't know how many academy players United were were basically parking there for the summer. So I don't know. I, I can't speak to how well they were they were using the U23 opportunity, but the fact that they farmed it out to essentially an expansion premier to NPSL team makes me think that that it's not going to be that much of a hindrance to the club. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean that that sounds right to me. I don't think I I feel like it's not that big a deal. That's that's what I'm gonna say. Yeah, it it, it is it is kind of hard to to get too worked up. There hasn't been much of a much evidence of a link between the two teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there. There haven't been any homegrown signings where, where you can say that the time they spent playing for the under 23s made an impact on whether or not they would get that deal. Um, it would be nice to see something in in that spot though, because you don't want to take a step backwards uh, as an organization, uh, even if this was sort of an you know contracted out uh, rather than. Uh, kept in-house. Maybe maybe the idea is to start an in-house NPSL team. Um, I don't know that the training grounds could, could host those games. I know the turf field there is apparently uh, not basically not usable, um, and the, the, the grass field there probably can only take so many sessions on it before it starts to break down. Um, maybe they can get something going up at the soccerplex um, or uh, various other... Uh, there's quite a few college fields around here, high school fields, um, so there, there is the option of starting something up and having an official DC United under 23s rather than the situation with Federal City was, I think they played one year as the DC United under 23s and then went back to the Federal City name or something like that. Um, I know their Twitter handle changed back and forth between those two, mm-hmm. um, at least once. So, um, something that's a little more straightforward and less of a source of confusion, I guess, would be nice. Um, I will say that I feel a little bad. I know that there are uh, a handful of DC U- or district ultras that would travel out to those games and yeah, that's uh, true. Bring ban- basically bring all of their banners and uh, and also um, some pyrotechnics that they often can't get away with. Uh, they would take them to those games, uh, and so I feel bad for those guys because I feel I got the feeling that they had a lot of fun at those games, um, and the option may not be there for them anymore. Hopefully, something is. Uh, it fills that void, um, not just for the fans, but also because it is important for those players that are college age to have something to do during the, the non-college season, which is the large percentage of the year, because we're still probably a couple years away from the proposal of uh, changing the NCAA's college soccer, the college soccer program to a, a, a calendar that is not compressed into three months of, of games every other day and, that, and then nothing else for the rest of the year. Next question comes from at MurDCU, M-U-R-R-D-C-U, who asks us, at FilibusterDCU, will you be interviewing the shark from the halftime show about Deflategate primarily? I'm not going to read the second half of that sentence. I should have read that beforehand. <laughs> um, 
sadly, no left shark. I don't think we can get on the show. We 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 can try to reach out to him on Twitter and see see what he thinks about soccer. Um, but but I'm not going to ask him that question that you asked on here. Final question tonight comes from Josh Weber at Salisbury United, who asks us at filibuster DCU. Who is taking PKs for DC United this year? Who do you want to take them? Who do you trust the most? Leanne, let's start with you. Who do you want to see taking penalties this year? Can I say who I don't want to be taking penalties this year? Yes. Which is, like, everybody. Penalties make me so nervous. Um, I don't want EJ to take penalties ever. I want Bill Hamid to take penalties <laughs> all the time. Um, I would like to see Rolf taking some. Well, what, okay, I don't know how many penalties we're going to be having here, but um, I would like to see Rolf take some. Um, I think Fabi can take some. As long as he doesn't uh, try to panenka it. Okay, yeah. But... but how awesome would it be if he tries the panenka on his next penalty kick and converts it, though? Because that would be like panenkaing the concept of taking a panenka and failing at it. Yeah, um, that's true. To, to then go up and just do it over, just do the exact same thing again. Uh, would be amazing. And it would work. Yeah, who, who would see it coming? Exactly. Um, Steve Clark. Steve Clark would see it coming. Maybe. Yeah, if we're playing Columbus, maybe we should uh, not go with the Panenka, because I feel like that's something you would remember uh, if you're a goalkeeper or just a general uh, soccer fan of any kind. I mean, I think that you should... I, I, don't, I think you should never go for the Panenka unless you're like... Jaime Moreno. Yes, or like Andrea Pirlo can take, like, otherwise I'm like not interested in your Paninkas. <laughs> I like the idea of like someone who, like, if you've got like a lar- like a Bobby Boswell uh, type of player, um, if if he's practiced it on his own, uh, taking it because no one would ever expect your large uh, physical center back to then go for the Panenka. And I, I think the element of surprise is even greater uh, in that situation. All right, if we get to, in a U.S. Cup game, in a U.S. Open Cup game, if we get to the point where we're in penalties and Bobby Boswell has to step up <laughs> to the spot, I want to see him do a Panenka now. Or Steve Birnbaum, or Perry Kitchen, or really any or big or corn Or any goalkeeper, guy. For, for, that, for that matter. Um, a goalkeeper taking a Panenka would be uh, totally amazing as well. Oh, I guarantee Bill you Bill Hamid has taken Panenkas in practice. Well, I guarantee you. Then we should be putting him uh, to the spot and seeing if it works. I mean, if if Dan Kennedy can succeed at penalty kicks for Chivas uh, as he did in last year's Open Cup, um, Matt Reese always he was always like yeah. the second penalty taker for yeah. New England, um, and, and better than probably better than almost anyone they had. Um, yeah, anyone I guess, except Twelman probably. Right, much better than Jay Heaps, for example. <laughs> um. I would say uh, one name I would bring up is Chris Pontius has a uh, good record at making penalty mm-hmm. kicks for us. Um, he's never it's, it's never looked like he's been our primary penalty taker at any given time, uh, but when we've gone to penalty kicks or um, when he's happened to be on the field, when it's time to take one, he's I think he's converted every shot he's taken. Um, so... Um, I would say, you know, why why not? Um, obviously, it's something you're looking at in practice. Um, it's sort of a, it's definitely, there's more of an art than a science to it. Um, 
even if you have a penalty kick competition in practice, um, you can't replicate the pressure of, of a game day situation. And so there's definitely a sort of a guessing game going on about whether a player has the mentality for it, whether they're fully fit, um, all that stuff. Um, Espindola is probably going to continue to take them. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to let one uh, Panenka make me never want him to take a penalty again. I mean, Moreno and Di Rosario both missed penalty kicks for DC United, and um, you'd still have wanted them to take the take the shot as well in future games. Um, Rolf, uh, Leanne mentioned Rolf. That would be a, another good option, I would say. And uh, I think he was the option by the end of the year last year. Yeah, and that that would be you know that's a completely reasonable option. Um, Rolf is a dependable player. He's not a guy that seems overawed by any particular situation. He doesn't let the pressure of a game throw him off. He's kind of a, he's got the even keel personality where he's not going to get too wrapped up and too intense and um, lose his way while he's up there. Because really it's, it's a, any of the players on the team can put the ball wherever they want under no pressure. Um, it's just a matter of being able to withstand the actual pressure of a game situation and not, you know, second guess yourself. Um, and I feel like he's got the mental makeup of someone that's just going to make up his mind before he shoots and stick to stick to the plan. And and it's not going to be because he's um, made up his mind. It's not like a like a dictator would make up his mind and and say that's it, this is what I'm doing. I think Rolf would just be very relaxed about the whole thing. And that's a that's a good thing for a penalty taker, someone that's still calm when they step up there. It's the magic of the headband. I I imagine headbands probably help. In that case, of, Halstey's going to be taking some penalties. Yeah, we don't we don't know. Maybe that's that's the maybe that's the whole reason he wears the headband is just for penalty kick taking. Magic headband plus seven penalty taking. I mean, I, I I've never had long enough hair to necessitate a headband, so I don't know if it benefits you. Maybe it does. Maybe I should give it a shot. I mean, headbands are pretty awesome. Back when I had long hair, headbands were pretty sweet. Not gonna lie. I can't say that headbands ever made me better at soccer, but. I think that's I mean, awesome. in the alternative, your hair would have been in your eyes, and, and you would have been much worse at soccer. That's true. That's true. And how many penalties did you try to take? None. So you never know. You might have been the best penalty taker ever with a headband. Oh, that's true. You can't, oh, you can't prove you wouldn't be. I could have been on the national team. <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> Apparently. Thank you, everyone, for listening this week. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Send your Twitter box questions to at filibusterdcu. Uh, also find us at Black and Red U on Twitter. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or on SoundCloud. Mostly just tell a friend about us. We will be back next week to talk about more preseason games and more U.S. national team games, and who knows what else will come up between now and then. So for Jason and Leanne, I am Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.